Hello and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is the place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Ian Lance, co-manager of the Temple Bar Investment Trust. Ian joined RWC in August 2010 and alongside co-manager Nick Purvis, manages over £3 billion of client assets, including the TMRWC Equity Income Fund. Ian has been working with Nick since 2007, initially at Schroders and then at RWC. Prior to joining Schroders, Ian was Head of European Equities and Director of Research at Citigroup and Head of Global Research at Gartmore. Ian Lance and Nick Purvis took over managing Temple Bar Investment Trust in November 2020. So in terms of the uh, Temple Bar Investment Trust, to give us a flavour, could you possibly talk us through the investment style and indeed the objectives for the trust? Yeah, the, the objectives are very simple. It's, the, um, it, it's about producing an income, growing that income and also producing capital returns. I think what sort of um, what makes it slightly stand out from a lot of other investment trusts at the moment is its, it's value style. Um, as you mentioned earlier on, there was a change of manager last year. The previous manager actually actually had a value style, and, and the board decided that they were going to stick with the value style, which actually now looks like a very good decision. At the time, it was a very courageous decision because value had been out of favour quite, for quite a period of time, uh, and, and actually lots of boards had not done that, had decided to appoint growth fund managers. Um, but they didn't. They decided to stick with the value style. Uh, and so uh, Temple Bar continues with its uh, with its distinctive value style for now. So in terms of um, sector allocation, how does that look for Temple Bar? It's, um, I, I, I guess we have big exposure to what one might, might describe as the big value sector. So um, we have about 15% of the fund in energy, another 10% in materials. That's nearly a quarter of the fund in energy and materials, uh, which obviously would be set to be big beneficiaries from uh, an economic rebound or even a pickup in inflation. Uh, about another 20% of the fund in financials, uh, again, you know, a big beneficiary of an economic rebound. And then we have very little exposure at all to areas like uh, consumer staples, healthcare, technology, but very little exposure to those sectors at all. You recently said that, uh, and I quote, the UK may be full of old economy stocks, but that doesn't mean that you can't make money out of them. Um, I presume this was a, a reference to the value approach that you've been mentioning. It is, but but specifically, I think in, in the last few years, because um, sectors like technology have done so well, I think people have become almost a bit obsessed with thinking that when uh, to make money, you have to buy something which has very strong top line growth. Um, and historically, that wasn't the case, actually. And I, I suppose what we're trying to point out is that if you buy a reasonable business, but you buy it at the time when it's got a very low valuation, that that gets you an awful long way. Um, and I know you will rem- remember, Richard, 2000, uh, the top of the TMT bubble, uh, when uh, people back then used to talk about sectors such as tobacco and utilities as being sort of old economy stocks, nobody wanted to own them. And uh, if you take a share like British American Tobacco, it actually, for the next decade, it compounded at 20% per annum uh, for, for, for shareholders, absolutely amazing return. But the interesting thing is, is that actually its top line only grew by um, about 3% per annum. Obviously, you know, tobacco volumes are going down. It's not a growth industry. So how, how did it get to that 20%? Well, it got there by taking a bit of costs out. So, so you know, m- margins weren't up. It, it throws off a lot of cash. So it bought back its shares. It, it increased its dividend payout. And you went from it being very lowly valued at the start of the decade to it being, you know, much more f- fully valued at the end of the decade. 
And so hence, you end up with a 20% per annum total return for investors, despite a top line only growing at 3%. And I guess we're just making the analogy with where we stand today. So sectors like energy, materials, financials, you know, sectors that people, some people have been very quick to write off. Um, and we think the valuations are so low today um, that, that you could see similar similar sort of type effect that we saw with uh, with tobacco and utilities back in 2000. Why do you think it is that value stocks, as as on the whole, have been beaten down? I mean, obviously, some of it's explainable by you know the lower oil price, lower commodity prices, uh, weak parts of the economic cycle, and so on. But as as a kind of theme, uh, it very much seems to be growth stocks almost to the exclusion. Of value stocks when there's there must be room for both. I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you know, interestingly, there have been a couple of studies done um, in which people have actually looked at you know what was it that led to this divergence of performance between value and growth. Um, because a lot of people have put stories out there saying that you know a lot of these value stocks are in secular declines, and the, the you know the words value traps and the words uninvestable get sort of bandied around a bit. And actually, the conclusion of the studies that I've read. Um, actually disagree with some of those conclusions. And they say that the the primary difference between uh, performance between value and growth was just simply growth stocks got more expensive and value stocks got cheaper. And so here we are today uh, with you know the spread between spreading valuation between value stocks and growth stocks, believe it or not, is bigger than it was in 2000 at the height of TMT. Um, and that's, you know, very simply, that's, you know, therein lies your opportunity. You're, you're getting an opportunity to buy some very cheap stocks. And will there, do you think, be an obvious catalyst which will bring value stocks back into favour? I think, yes. And I, I think probably to a certain extent it's happened. Um and and, it, and it, effectively, it was the uh, it was the announcement of the vaccine back in eighth um, of November last year. Uh, because when we when we when coronavirus struck and lots of economies went into lockdown, investors were very nervous, understandably, about the economy. And there was a flight into defensive companies and, and technology companies were labelled defensive at the time. And there was a flight out of cyclical sectors, so out of energy and financials and so on and so forth. Just to give you an example of how. <laughs> How incredible that flight was! Um, the share price of NatWest Group, which is uh, used to be known as Royal Bank of Scotland, actually got down to the same level last year that it was in 2009 when the UK government had to step in and bail it out. Uh, you know that that is how depressed people were about some of these companies. And then along comes November the eighth. Uh, you know the Pfizer vaccine gets announced, um, and there has just been the the most massive rotation, but um, from growth stocks into value stocks. So the, the trust that we're talking about. Temple Bar is actually up sixty five percent since we, since we took it over. What what is going to keep that going? I think it's the fact that we that you know, we're likely to see a continued economic rebound this year, partly just because we you know we're not going to be locked down for for large parts of this year, but also because of the massive monetary and fiscal stimulus that we're seeing from governments at the moment. That's likely to suggest that we see a, a continued um, pick up in inflation. Sorry, in 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 economic growth. And the possibility of inflation, I think. And, and, you know, if inflation does pick up, then it typically it's sectors like technology, consumer staples, utilities tend not to do so well. Whereas energy, materials, financials, they tend to be the best performing sectors. And, and to be clear, you are pretty much focused on, on the UK, uh, in terms of your investable universe. Could you possibly, uh, talk us through one or two of the top holdings within the trust at the moment? Yeah, so the uh, the biggest holding in the trust at the moment um, is, uh, is is Royal Mail, uh, and I can tell you at the time that we bought that, that was an extremely unpopular share. Uh, again, you know, everyone was telling us that it was a uh, it was a structural decliner, uh, it was a sort of value trap, and uh, yada yada yada. And if I told you that 
a couple of weeks ago, they had results and they said uh, this year, so the year about to finish, the year, the year ended March, they're expecting to make 700 million of operating profits. Well, the market cap at the low point last year was a little over a billion. So they were trading at less than two times their operating profits. And what, you know, what Chase, and obviously the shares have done very, very well since then. The shares, the, the, the shares bottom, I think about £1.20, they're now over five quid. What, what changed? Um, actually for them, uh, lockdown was, um, a, a positive because investors seem to have gotten that they, although they do have a letters business, they also have 50% of the parcels market in the UK. So what well, parcel force has 50% market share. Then they have another business in Europe called GLS, uh, which again is purely parcels. And both of those businesses are now seeing volumes and sales growth of over 30% at the moment. So, you know, for them, the fact that we're all working from home and ordering things online has, has been a sort of massive benefit um, to them. And, you know, some people might say, well, you know, is, isn't that therefore now in the price? We don't think it is, actually. It's, it, 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 it's just because the valuation was so incredibly depressed. And I think one shouldn't underestimate the operating leverage of these types of businesses. You know, it's a low margin business where margins start to go up. You, you get very, very substantial operating leverage. So that's, so that's the first one. The, the other one, which I'll just touch on, is um, dear old BP is our uh, is our second largest holding. There are a couple of elements to that. Um, the first is that, uh, as I'm sure you know, lots of lots of investors have decided to sell their holdings in energy companies for what you might describe as ESG reasons. And that had the effect of driving down the valuations of these companies. The second thing is that the the oil price last year, you you might remember, actually went negative um, at one point last year. Um, and in the background, I think people ignore the fact that an awful lot of capital has come out of this industry. So the uh, the big integrated oil companies, their capital expenditure, believe it or not, is I think is about 60, 65% lower than it was three or four years ago. So a lot of capex has come out of this industry. And therefore, we're facing a situation where as demand comes back, there's potential for um, you know, supply shortages. And of course, we've seen the we've seen the oil price rebound from from sort of nothing last year to about seventy dollars this year. Between sixty and seventy five dollars, um, a, a company like BP is throwing off a lot of cash. So the free cash flow yield is something like something between thirteen and fifteen percent, and it's paying out seven percent dividend. So you know, we 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 think that's a, a a very cheap stock. And I suppose the final thing, going back to what I was saying a couple of minutes ago, in a in a inflationary environment, you would expect companies like that to do well. So I think it's a it's a good sort of inflation hedge from that point of view as well. What do you think about the fact that um, you, you mentioned quite rightly ESG, but in terms of this um, turnaround towards renewable energy energies and so on? This isn't going to happen overnight, is it? No, it's not. It's not. Again, I think, you know, much as we would all like um, the world economy to stop using fossil fuels tomorrow, you're absolutely right. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's, it's good. You know, we're going to carry on consuming fossil fuels for a decade or so. And so demand is not going to disappear um, overnight. And that, and that, of course, that gives the company time to reinvent itself. So it will, it will run off a lot of its fossil fuel production. And at the same time, it will be investing in renewables. But, but what that means is that going back to my point that, you know, they, they will potentially generate a lot of cash in the, um, in the meanwhile. Um, and we think it looks very attractive from that point of view. I think, I think the final thing I would add is we don't really believe in this, uh, in the idea of divestment. In other words, you just stick lines through whole sectors and you say, you know, for ESG reasons, I'm just not going to hold them because it doesn't really change the behavior of the company. If I, if I sell my shares in BP, I just sell them to somebody else. Um, that, that doesn't necessarily make BP change the way it behaves. Whereas 
if you as shareholders engage with the companies, then you can actually promote change. And we, 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 we favour that, really, actually. So during these interesting times, uh, you've already partly touched on this, I think. How have we found that, that the trust um, has been holding up, you know, during a, a pretty extraordinary 2020 and indeed, and again, as you've touched on, did it give you a, a few opportunities perhaps to, to initiate new holdings? In fact, we didn't add that many new holdings, but we did do quite a lot of rotation into, I suppose, existing holdings. And we were able to top those up at really attractive prices. Um, so throughout last year, you know, we were big buyers of the energy companies that I've already mentioned. Um, uh, a lot of financials, uh, banks and so on and so forth, you know, uh, some of the consumer cyclicals, so retailers, for instance. And, you know, just to reiterate that point, you were getting the chance to buy these things at unbelievable prices. Um, you know, that one, one theme running through the portfolio last year was companies in which you could take one division and one division on its own was worth more than the market cap of the entire group. Um, believe it or not, we think that Marks and Spencer's actually, we think that its food retail business at the bottom was worth more than the entire company. Uh, Raw Mail was another good example of that, and there were there were there were many others. So you know there were some there were some very very depressed valuations, and it, we think it's actually likely that having seen a reasonable pickup in the turnover of the trust last year, that actually you you know we might we might not be doing anything for a while now because we we, we think we bought some really good uh, positions at the right price, and it's likely that we just sit there and kind of you know, let, let, let those returns come through without having really to, to put through much turnover in the portfolio in the, in the immediate future. So not, notwithstanding uh, the likelihood of that strategy, how do you see it unfolding over the next year or so? I think you just you just have to remind yourself that we're coming off a very low base. Um, so, you know, last year we had one of the worst economic contractions, I think, for hundreds of years. But but this year, you know, we, we we are seeing a big bounce back for that. So the uh, the, the Fed is forecasting, I think, seven percent GDP growth for the US uh, in, in the coming year. Um, earnings growth forecast for Europe this year, the current current consensus is plus thirty percent, followed by plus twenty percent. So and 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 actually, if you dig down and look at the sectors that are driving that, it, it, it's the cyclicals that are kind of bouncing off, you know, off low levels. So you are you are seeing, I think, some um, actually quite a favourable environment at the moment. Um, because we are we are seeing a big rebound, and I do you know I do expect that to continue as the year goes on. Obviously, here in the UK, we are still uh, to a certain extent restricted. Those restrictions will come off over the next few months, and one would expect things to begin to return to normal. You'd expect consumer spending to begin to pick up. Uh, the housing market still remains pretty pretty buoyant at the moment. Um, so, so so yeah, I think I think the outlook is pretty good actually. And when you when you combine that with um, some still pretty low valuations, I, I, I think the stars are aligned at the moment. Yeah, and, and also, of course, it's, it's been uh, something of a pariah as an investment destination in the UK, um, even, before, even before Brexit, whereas there, there are some small signs, perhaps, that there's uh, a bit of international interest coming back, which, which obviously lifts sentiment uh, for the UK as a whole, because it's, it's fair to say uh, that although the FTSE didn't, FTSE 100, for example, didn't have a disastrous year last year, um, it was certainly a country mile behind what was happening uh, over the pond. Do you think that sentiment could help potentially lift a few boats as well? Yeah, I do. I, 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 let me give you a couple of facts. Um, so we've got data show looking at the valuation of the UK uh, relative to MSCI world, so relative to the stock markets of the rest of the world, going back over 50 years. And the UK is trading at the cheapest that it's traded at since the 1970s uh, at the moment. So uh, the average discount has been about 17%. And today we're at 40% discount. So, you know, you're, you are getting an opportunity to, to, to buy the UK pretty cheaply. 
The second thing is that um, for the last, you know, I, I suppose Brexit has been a big uncertainty for the last few years, you know, to, to, to a greater or less extent, I would say that uncertainty has been lifted. And the final thing is that the UK has suffered from the compo- components of the index over the last few years. So in other words, the UK is light in areas like technology and it's heavy in areas like energy and materials uh, that we've discussed earlier on. Well, in, a, in, a, in an economic recovery, maybe actually that is exactly the sort of index you want to be exposed to, what, one that has a large component in areas like energy and materials, which are likely to be the sectors which bounce back the most. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think the UK has been much maligned and has probably got, actually got quite a lot going for it at the moment. Well, um, that's, that's amazing. That's absolutely flown by. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we've, uh, all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, Ian, for those Valuable insights indeed. That's um, Ian Lance of the Temple Bar Investment Trust. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.